Well, last time I was here, I believe I preached for quite a while, and Chris gave me his microphone that only had enough battery life for 20 minutes, so don't worry. Um, We've been talking about the mind-bending grace, and you'll have to forgive me if I get emotional. Seeing all of your faces, we've been living in an environment of grace um, because Christ has been with us this whole time. And you guys have been with us with your prayers and with your, um, with your words. You're reaching out to us, looking out and seeing the crowd. Um, this is mind-bending, right? It's mind-bending. Rest assured, some of you in here are totally lost <laughs> when people get up here and speak a different language. Um, It's mind-bending, but it is the grace of God, right? Uh, One of the most, what I thought was one of my best Bible studies I I had done with uh, a woman who had come to our house, one of Whitney's friends who wanted to study the Bible. One of the best Bible studies, one of my first ones in Spanish. I was feeling really good about it. We went about, you know, an hour in Spanish, and I'm like, yes, I did a really good job. And at the end, I, I decided, I said, you know, what really impacted you from this time in God's Word? And the woman looked up to me, and she said, well, it wasn't anything that you said during this time. It was the conversation we had before we started. And I said, okay. She said, you had, this woman came from a, an upper-class family. She said, you had told me that just the other day you were at your friend's house who was a taxi driver. And we don't call taxi drivers our friends. We don't go to their house. That's what impacted me. Guys, the grace of God, the love of Christ, crosses all boundaries. And it is mind-bending. And all we have to do is be faithful to that. And God will do some amazing things. This is my friend, the taxi driver. His name's Hector. His brother, Hugo, and his wife, Alvina. Mind-bending. I get in a taxi with my daughter, Myla, and we're um, heading home from the store, and we're speaking English to each other because at that point, Myla was only in English. Now I have to talk to him in both languages. And the taxi driver, Hector, he he speaks up and he says, I speak English. (laughs) And that was about the extent of his English. But he wanted to talk, so we start talking, and and he shares uh, with me, uh, or I share with him why we're we're here. This was early on. In fact, Ron and Gail had just left uh, about um, October of last year. And I said, well, I'll tell you why I'm here. I'm I'm here to tell you a story. I'm, I'm here to tell you a story about a man that changed my life forever and that can change yours as well. I'm here to tell you a story about me who was not a good person who could not fix himself, who tried really hard but couldn't do it, and then I found Jesus, and I met a man that could make me good. And he said, well, that's really interesting. Can you come to my house tomorrow and tell my family? So the next day, my family goes to his house, and, um, and there we are, sitting around the table, sharing the good news of God's grace with a family, and just not... Not a year later, um, this is them in a home with three other families, and they're all your brothers and sisters. 
what's mind-bending about this picture that you're seeing right here is um, just recently our teammates who were there with us had a tragedy in their family. Father and son were in a car accident and the son died. It was my teammate's brother that died. And so our little house church that's been meeting just for a few months um, are left alone. And I got this picture from them letting us know that they are still meeting. It didn't matter if we were there or not. That's mind-bending. Just a few weeks ago, these people put on Christ in baptism. But they're so excited to be with, with one another and share God's Word. Um, God is good. He's good. I'll tell you about a few other mind-bending things that we've experienced, especially my girls and, and Sean. This is not a knock on you, but when you finish your two words of Spanish... My daughter, Adeline, looks up and she goes, he doesn't know a lot of Spanish. <laughs> Said, no, no he doesn't. <laughs> um, but Marco, you did well in her eyes, so good job. They've had their minds bent a little bit this, uh, this month. Uh, my youngest, Myla, every time we have gone out to eat, there has been ice in her drink, and she has let us know that. Daddy, there's ice in my drink. And she's not used to having ice, so they don't, they don't do ice there in Moncayo. Uh, she also said uh, when it was time to eat dinner one night, Whitney uh, said, okay, girls, we're going to get something to eat. She goes, Mom, you can call the pizza, and they will bring it to your door. <laughs> And then our daughter Adeline, and, and this might be a little, but this is how missionaries talk, so you just have to get used to it. Uh, in Wankayo, we don't flush our toilet paper. We don't flush our toilet paper because of the plumbing situation. Anyways, we've beat it into our girls, do not flush the toilet paper. So they don't, and they're good about that. Well, our first experience in a place where you do flush the toilet paper, Whitney's helping Adeline in the bathroom, throws the toilet paper in the toilet, and Adeline goes, oh, Is there no trash can? <laughs> So, crossing cultural boundaries is mind-bending, but it's exactly what Jesus did. Because that's what the grace of God provides. In a graceless world where people are ready to just stay with their own clan and tribe and tongue, um, what we are doing, what God is doing, is incredible. So I was sitting at a table with one of these families and I want, I want to share a story with you uh, in the Gospels that impacted them greatly, and it impacted me. Um, we're sitting across the table, and we're reading through the story uh, of the woman who reaches out and touches the cloak of Christ. And you can find it in Luke 8, uh, 40 through 48. And uh, this is a story, um, interesting, in between several other stories of Jesus consistently encountering and touching and ceremonially unclean people. We have the demoniac just before this story that Jesus has an encounter with. An unclean person. According to the law, according to religion, what Jesus did was wrong. Um, then the woman here who will touch him is unclean. Ceremonially, religiously unclean, Jesus accepts her. After this, we see Jesus raising the young girl again against the law according to the Jewish religion to touch a dead body. And so, 
you have this particular story in between, and I want to highlight some things, uh, some verses in this story. Let's read just real quickly um, this story that we all know. <clears throat> now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. And then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of twelve, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. I like to think of that power as grace. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, she came trembling, fell at his feet in the presence of all the people. She told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, Eha, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. So we're going to read what was her problem. What was the problem of this woman? Okay, I want to highlight a few verses that, uh, that will help us understand the grace of God a little bit more. A woman there had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. We may know the, the law, the verses in Leviticus uh, chapter 15. And I will tell you that maybe reading this verse may make you uncomfortable. Maybe it is something that is... Uh, Maybe you think inappropriate. Maybe you think it's, it's uh, not the right time to read it. It's graphic. Think about that, how uncomfortable it might make us feel. But when a, it says in the law, according to in Leviticus, when a woman has a flow of blood for many days at a time other than her monthly period or has a discharge that continues beyond her period, she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge. How long? Twelve years for this woman, just in the days of her period. Any bed she lies on with her discharge continues, uh, continues, will be unclean as during her monthly period. And anything she sits on will be unclean as during her period. Anyone who touches them will be unclean. They must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and they will be unclean until evening. For 12 years, for 12 years, these words, unclean, were running through this woman's brain. It shaped what not only others thought of her, but what she thought of herself. Can you imagine just for a minute how you would feel for 12 years, no one coming to your house to eat because they can't sit on your furniture? Not having physical touch because people fear being defiled just by your being, something she could not help. What would you feel? Alone? Unworthy of connection? Depressed, afraid, 
ashamed, empty. But this is what she felt. And if we think about it, this is not just her problem. This is a human problem that we all have, right? Chris mentioned that if we don't get in touch with our own brokenness, we will never have desperation or fully embrace the grace of God. This is all of us in the eyes of God. We are all in this boat of uncleanliness. So this woman's problem is our problem. And so if we're disgusted by reading what she had to experience in her life, we should think about our own selves in comparison with God. So the key for this woman is that she did recognize that she had a problem. And in recognizing her brokenness, she recognizes the need for healing. So what did she do? She looked for a remedy, right? We all look for remedies to fix the brokenness in our lives. Even if we don't recognize our own brokenness, we look for remedies. What did she do? Another verse that I I want us to focus in on is in verse 43. She spent all she had on doctors, but no one could heal her. Let's think about that for a second. She spent everything. She gave her best efforts to become whole again, to get rid of these feelings, to remedy her shame, to give the opportunity to be loved again, to be touched, to have people over for dinner. She did everything she could for 12 years. And she was at the point of desperation because there was no way to be healed. There was no way that she could make herself clean. And don't we do the same thing? Don't we seek to do the same with our own problem? We seek destructive behaviors to escape feelings of shame or guilt or loneliness. We put down others to lift ourselves up. We compare ourselves with others. If I'm not just, if I'm not as bad as them, then I'm probably okay. We abuse. We try to fill our hearts with material things. We drive ourselves to succeed at the highest level, thinking surely that, we, that will make me worthy and good. We seek to be on the right side of every argument. We have to be perfect in our religion. We have to be perfect in our thinking and reasoning about God and His teachings and doctrines. Because if we're not perfect, we fear rejection by God. Right? And as we drown ourselves in the pursuit of making ourselves perfect and good and whole and accepted and loved and righteous, we spend all we have. And as we spend all we have, we totally miss out on the grace, the gift of grace that God has for us. We have, we have yet to reach the desperation for Christ and being united with Him when we try to do things on our own, when we try to make ourselves righteous. So what this woman finally did reach out, uh, and look in verse 44, I want us to think about what is happening here. What did she have to do 
She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. Think about the setting. It says people were pressing in on Jesus, crushing him. Pressing in. This is a tight squeeze. Think about what this woman had to overcome. Think about the desperation and the need to be with Jesus this is, that this woman had to have had because what she does is scary. Because she comes up behind Jesus. That means she is weaving through the crowd, bumping in to people right and left, making them all unclean. How scary that might have been for her, right? To risk in, in front of everyone this shaming again in hopes, in hopes that she could be clean. The fear that she must have had but it shows the desperation she was willing to put herself in that situation. Think about this. The fear that she must have had to touch the Son of God, making Him unclean. Was she desperate? Absolutely, she was desperate. Because everything that she did, according to her law, she couldn't do it. She put all of her shame, failed efforts, weaknesses, and brokenness becoming completely vulnerable at the feet of Jesus in hopes that His grace was enough. Right? She was desperate. And it was only the grace of Christ that could heal her. We continue with a verse that maybe we passed over. She says, seeing that she could not go unnoticed. Because Jesus stops and he, he recognizes something has left him, some power, some grace has left him. He stops the crowd and he asks the weird question, who touched me? And everybody's like, everybody's touching you, right? Um, how can you ask this? Why would he do it? Because there was still something that she had not experienced yet. She had still not experienced the fullness of God's grace and Jesus did, wanted to make sure that she did not miss the fullness of His grace. So He stops. And he says, who touched me? And she wanted to go unnoticed, right? Because there was still, although she was healed, there was still fear and shame and probably an immense amount of guilt thinking, I just defiled all of these people. But he stopped to make sure she knew that that didn't matter. That the grace of God didn't just heal her physical body. It restored her. It wiped away the thing that made her unclean. The shame, the guilt. It took it away completely. And so as she laid her shame, what did, what did she do? She was scared, but what did she do? She told everybody what just happened. Think about that. Guys, I just made all of you unclean. You're all going to have to go wash your clothes, and until tonight, you are unclean. <laughs> and I just touched the Messiah. By the way, you're unclean, Jesus. That's probably what came out of her mouth, but no, she, it didn't matter anymore. She threw that shame out there for everybody to hear. Why? 
Because it didn't matter anymore. Because she was boasting about a man that changed her life forever. She stopped focusing on her inner shame and focused on the work that Christ does in all of us, right? But sometimes we miss that. Jesus wanted to make sure she didn't. And I love the word in Spanish because what he says to her in her vulnerable act of faith, hija, hija, right? That's daughter. What an intimate word, right? Goodness, I'm about to have three daughters. (laughs) What an intimate, loving, caring totally accepting word for the first time in 12 years she felt accepted and loved. She felt like she could get away from that shame. Iha. Iha mia. Go in peace. Go in peace. And what he did was turn her shame into honor. What he did was glorify her shame, basically, because it was no longer her that mattered, it was him. Right? Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If she would have missed grace, she would have missed everything. If she had only just walked away physically clean and healed, she would have missed the grace of God. She needed to know that He changed her life. He saved her. So, we finish this story. And I look up across the table at my friends. And the woman sitting there is crying. She's crying and uncontrollably and, and I, it was me sitting around the table and uh, Whitney was over with the kids and I immediately was like Whitney come here come here <laughs> and so Whitney comes and puts her arm around her and I said what's impacted you she goes that woman is me that woman is me and she goes on to tell us about all of the things that she was ashamed of all the things that she was carrying around that told her you are not worthy you are not good and she had just met a man that could change her life forever my friend Hector struggled so much I have to be perfect before I uh, put on Christ in baptism I have to be sinless and and then I'm, I'm afraid that what happens afterwards right and we kept Preaching these people, listen, the grace of God is good. Okay? He makes you good, not yourself. And But something was missing. And I realized what was missing was my own need for God's grace. I had to come to grips with my own brokenness before I could really preach a compelling message to people. I had to think about the ways in which I have tried to justify myself, the ways that uh, if I complete X, Y, and Z, in the eyes of many, I could be good. 
the ways that I could put together a good argument and a good uh, teaching point, uh, that if I could just do that, then, then I'm okay. And I'd forgotten myself that I too needed Jesus as much as the woman. And so it came to the point on a Sunday we were studying and they're struggling with this idea of being perfect and I got to the point where it's like, these people are seeing me like I'm perfect. I had to say, guys, guess what? This week, I raised my voice to my wife and I shouldn't have done that. But because of the grace of God, I don't have to live with the shame and guilt. But that's not the norm. When you're living and covered in Christ, Christ start living in you. That doesn't happen often. But it should show you that I'm not perfect. So don't come to me. You need Jesus. Right? He will make you good. He will make you perfect. And it was as I started sharing my own brokenness with people, I started to feel a liberation that I had never felt before. I started to realize that for a long time, I was actually ashamed of the gospel. Here I am, a preacher of the gospel, ashamed of the gospel. Because I was not leaning in to the fullness of God's grace. I was so wrapped up in the things that, and ashamed and, and fear of what people would think if they knew what I had done in my life, that I still was not enjoying the fullness of God's grace. And this verse popped out to me in Mark, and it just hit me. If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of God of the Father with His holy angels. Guys, if we think we can save ourselves, if we think we can think ourselves to heaven, if we think we can argue ourselves to being good, we are ashamed of the grace of God. And we're living that way. But as soon as we recognize our own brokenness, we can live in an environment of grace where fear and guilt and shame are no more. And we look into the greatest evangelist in, the, in Scripture, Paul. What did he do? Every time almost he talked to people about how bad he was, but it wasn't to put the spotlight on himself. It was to boast the grace of God. And so instead of us walking around thinking we've got ourselves all together, if we want to see people come to Jesus, we've got to show them that we believe the grace of God. That we've experienced the grace of God. And we can only do that if we come in contact with our own brokenness to think about what Jesus has actually done for us. You want to know why people don't come to church because they don't experience, they're not hearing the good news. So I'm going to challenge you like I challenge myself. Tell them about a man that changed your life forever. And as real as you are with your own brokenness in the front of people who are themselves broken, they will say, come to my house and tell my family. And who knows? There might be a group of people meeting in their home knowing Christ because you let go of the shame and leaned into the grace of God because we are only good. We are only good because of Christ. It is 
God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. For the religion that we have constructed. So none of us can boast about it. We boast Christ. And so as we finish up our meetings together as a, as a small church, we take communion. And we sit around the table or the living room, and I'll tell you what we do. We go around with glass and bread in hand, and everybody in that room talks about what God has done for them. And I'm going to tell you, it's not just... God gave me breath this morning. God gave me food today. Certainly He did. It's, I was filled with shame. It was six years ago, I had an abortion. And I've never told anybody that. The grace of God has gotten rid of that shame. And I can tell you, and I've, I've been telling people all week that are thinking about doing the same thing, that there's a different way to go. We lay out our brokenness and we toast to the grace of Jesus Christ, the man of honor around the, the Lord's table, right? And we honor him and we lift our glasses and we say, thank you, Lord, who delivers me, right? See to it that no one misses the grace of God. Thank you for your support and sending us out. Here you can see a family of believers. A family of believers that now get to live in an environment of grace and not sin and shame and guilt. Because if we miss grace, if we miss grace, we miss everything. Maybe you need to lean into God's grace. Maybe you've been holding on to things that you're still ashamed of and guilty and you're not experiencing the fullness of God's grace, the joy, the freedom that you can have by accepting that gift. Maybe that's where you're at today. I'm going to tell you, the more I told people about how bad I was, the more excited I got about Jesus. And the closer my relationship has gotten. I get to the point where I don't care that people reject me. I don't care. Because every time I tell my story, I fall more in love with Jesus. And I tell you, that attracts people. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you've been sitting on the fence. You don't really know what this whole following Jesus is about. Well, I'm going to tell you, the beginning is just accept the gift. Be united with Him in baptism and live in an environment of grace. Wherever you're at in your journey, know that the grace of God is sufficient and it's ready to cover you in everything. Let's stand and sing.